Well, in many ways, today is the start of a new season around here. Uh, fall is upon us. Uh, the leaves are even starting to change just a little bit. We got a lot of leaves on the ground in front of my place, and uh, awesome weather is in front of us. I was looking at the forecast for this week. It's going to be perfect. I love the fall. It's a great running weather. It's nice. And then also, pumpkin spice lattes are officially out, and so it's going to be good. Uh, again, today is our cookout, and so it's just kind of the start of a new season. And along with that, what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into a new uh, sermon series here uh, as a church. And we're going to go through the book of 1 Corinthians together. And so if you, you have a Bible or you got the Bible app or you got the church app, would you just head on over there? Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll put it up on the screen for you as well. And if you don't have a Bible at home uh, that you can dust off, uh, grab one of the Bibles around the room here on your way out and bring that home. We'd love for you to take that and, and break that in. The book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, really, it's not even a book. It's actually a, a, a letter. And so we're reading someone else's mail here, which is always great fun, right? I mean, we get to read somebody else's. Have you ever stumbled your way, uh, stumbled your way into somebody else's mail, into their, their business? Maybe you found a, a note laying around and it was kind of curious and I'll just take a peek and see what this is all about. Or, or maybe you somehow uh, open up uh, your spouse or somebody's messenger and you kind of scroll through some text messages. Or, or maybe your irresponsible sister just so happened to leave her diary just, just right there in her sock drawer, basically asking for it to be read, and, and you read it. Anybody? You ever been? Okay, I know I have. Uh, how, now, have you ever got into that mess and started to read something that you found actually concerning, actually kind of alarming? They are doing what? My sister is dating who? Like, I, I will go over there and I will make that boy break up with my sister. I mean, my brother and I, we, we, in all seriousness, we had a little intervention with the college boy when my sister was a freshman in college. True story. And, uh huh. What you made me do, church? Now I'm all getting worked up here. And as we jump into this letter, 1 Corinthians, we, we hear some alarming things about our siblings, our brothers and sisters in, in Corinth. They were some wild ones. We, we find that out for sure. In fact, let me just give you a little, little sneak peek, spoiler alert here. Chapter 1, we see that they're fighting over which pastor is Better. Now, can you imagine that? Well, I like Kevin because I like the way he sings and that hair. Oh, that hair, right? Or, or I like Pastor Josh because he's faster than Kevin. I know that for sure. Or I like Pastor Ryan. Why'd he have to go up to the North Shore? He was so deep and taller than all of them. And, or I like David. Pastor David, he's, he's a little bit older. He brings the wisdom and the experience. They were fighting over which pastor was their, their favorite. It gets worse. Chapter 5, they got a guy sleeping with his stepmom and nobody in the church even seems bothered by it. Yeah. Chapter 6, people in the church are suing each other. Chapter 7, married couples are using sex as ultimatums to each other. You better do this or I won't do this. Chapter 11, people are straight up cutting in line for communion so that they can get drunk on the communion wine. I mean, this is all, in my book, circumstantial evidence for the reality of Jesus. Because if I were making up a religion... This was not some stuff that I would be, I mean, you put these stories in your holy book. These guys were some wild ones. I mean, they were crazy. Yet, listen to the first two verses of this letter. Paul 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified or to the holy ones. So all that reality television craziness up in this church and Paul addresses them as the holy ones. Paul addresses them as those who are sanctified. And this is where I pray for all of us that it'll start to get really personal. That your mistakes and your failures, even as a Christian, no matter how little they are or how huge and Corinthian-like they are, they cannot shake your solid rock foundation of who Jesus has made you to be. Who Jesus has declared you to be. You are holy. You are sanctified. How? It says in Christ Jesus. They are holy not because they act so holy. They're holy because they're holy in Jesus. And Jesus has declared them holy. Their unrighteousness has been paid for. The penalty has been paid for. By his payment on the cross and his righteousness has been given to them by his grace within his heart. They are declared holy. They are sanctified. Now, let me explain sanctification for you uh, for just a moment. Uh, Just a little theology if I can. There is sanctification in position and there is sanctification in practice. We need to understand the difference between those. Holiness in position, holiness in practice. Holiness in position or or positional sanctification is at the moment that you trust in Jesus and his work on the cross as the payment for your sin and you trust your life and your eternity into the hands of Jesus, you are positionally sanctified. You are holy in the sight of God. At that moment, the righteousness of Jesus is upon you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, your past, your present, your future. He sees the holiness of Jesus. You are positionally sanctified. But listen, just because you are positionally sanctified doesn't necessarily mean that you are now practically sanctified or practicing holiness. For example, hypothetically speaking, One could be president and not act presidential. You get it? So there's positional sanctification and then there's practical sanctification. Now, now, now practical sanctification, you have to grow to practice who you are in position. And this is where the Corinthians are. This is where this church is. I think the best illustration I've ever heard for positional versus practical sanctification is that story of the king who goes out into his, his kingdom and he, he's, he's out and about and he finds a boy in the slums and he's filthy and he's needy and he's hungry and the king has compassion for this boy and so he adopts the boy and the boy immediately becomes his son. There's positional change, right? Right at that that very moment, he is immediately nobility. And all the implications that come with, he's immediately, at the moment the king adopts this boy, he's immediately a prince. However, when he gets to the palace, the practical change is going to take a little bit of time. He gets to the palace, he's hungry, the king says, prepare for this boy, a a, a feast. And the the boy sits down at the table and he's He's not, no pinky out while he's drinking his tea. I mean, he's just scarfing the food down. And maybe at first it's a little bit cute. Come on. But like 10 years down the road and he's, oh, 
I mean, that, that's just not cute anymore. There should be some changes that start to take place. He should learn to practice living with, with decency and looking and living like a prince. Sanctification. You got it? You with me? That, that's very, very, very in, important. So there's all kinds of craziness. And the opening line from Paul is not, you bunch of fools, are you stinking kidding me? How dare you abuse the mercy of God? Rather, verse 2, you're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He reminds them, this is who you are positionally. Your status, friends, has not changed. God's love for you and God's favor on you is relentless. And I'm going to venture to say that I'm guessing that there's probably somebody in here today who needs to hear that news. That God says, I still love you. I still see you as holy and forgiven and all the implications that come with that. Your, your poor behavior at the dinner table, so to speak, or cutting in line at communion, it, doesn't, it actually doesn't change God's love for you. Maybe that's even kept you back from, from, from coming back to God. Is I, I don't think God could love me anymore. I mean, all that I've done after a Christian. God says, no, it's not one, two, three strikes, you're out. That's, that's not how God works. He's a God of love and of grace and of compassion and of mercy. He's not a God who wants to shame any single one of us. Verse 2, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. And what's the next word? Together. Called to be saints together. And so your, your, your sanctification or your growing practically in, in holiness does not happen in isolation. Hello? you hear that? It does not happen in isolation. You grow through being together. And so as we launch this new semester of groups, let me just urge you to jump in. I just want to urge you to, to jump in. This is God's primary tool for growing us. As, as Bibles open, applying it to each other's life, this is how we grow. The problem is, sounds good until you start hanging out with those crazy people, right? And then you realize these people are messed up, maybe even more than I'm messed up. I mean, this week I had a conversation with a friend, and the friend said something like, like this. said, you know, Josh, sometimes I just think about just uprooting my entire family and moving to the middle of nowhere, Vermont, and just living on a farm and talking to nobody for the rest of our lives. And I was like, it's funny you say that because sometimes I find myself daydreaming about uprooting my entire family and moving to some like place way on the other side of the world where, where we're the only ones who speak English and living in like a hut and just doing life with just, just my family and we don't even speak their language so they can't even talk to us, right? Anybody ever feel like that? Like I just want to get away from all of this craziness. Whatever that craziness looks like for you. Do, do you have those people maybe who, who rub you a little bit? You, you can admit that. It's okay. I, I did too. And our, our tendency when we're around the people who rub us a little bit is we want to run from them at all costs. We want to get out of here at all costs. I call them sandpaper people. You got sandpaper people in your life? Yeah. Could it be that God is using sandpaper people in your life to smooth out your rough edges? While you're thinking, I just need to smooth them out. They're, they're so rough. Maybe he's using them to smooth out your 
rough edges. And if we just run, we miss out on some serious growth. Or to use the, the Bible's illustration instead of sandpaper people, he says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. We need the wild ones, and the wild ones need us. And, and, and so much of this letter, what Paul is doing is he's addressing interpersonal issues, struggles within this particular church. And it's kind of challenging sometimes to read letters like this. And, and, and really what's happening is you're listening to like one side of a phone call. You know what I mean? You only hear what he's saying, and we have to kind of work and be sluice to figure out what's actually happening. We can't just go based on what he's saying. We have to really kind of work and use context and what's going on in, in Corinth in that, that day and age. And, and are these people, people who have been believers for a long time or for a short time? Are they Jewish people? Are they, they Gentile? We, we have to work to, to figure all this stuff out. And Paul's addressing them. And, and all kinds of topics come up throughout this letter, but the, the overarching great theme over all all of these topics is togetherness, is, is unity. This church in Corinth is divided by some sinful patterns and by some one-upmanship. And Paul urges them, I, I urge you to humble yourself. I urge you to, to welcome the weak. I urge you to work together for the mission of God in this world. And isn't it unbelievably ironic that this particular letter, the letter... 1 Corinthians here, that was written for unity, has been abused by so many churches throughout the history of the church for, for years to be probably the book, the letter of the greatest source of disunity in the church. Because you begin to think about all the hot-button topics that come up in this particular letter. Divorce and remarriage and spiritual gifts and, and communion and gender roles. And yet Paul, from the very beginning, says, hey, listen, we are are brought into a family, and we don't immediately start living like holy ones in this family, but we're brought into this family, and together as family, we're going to learn to live as family and, 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 and be about the family business, which is to make disciples of all nations. And so Paul calls them to this, and I need you to know this, Paul practices what he preaches. You better know that Paul practices what he preaches. In fact, go back now to verse 1. Look at verse 1. Who wrote this? Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He'll address that again later. And our brother Sosthenes. So try to say that without a lisp. Sosthenes. See, many people think about Paul and they, they kind of see him as this, this lone maverick, as this independent who's out there starting all these churches and writing these letters and then visiting churches and helping them grow and dealing with issues and, and, and standing before global leaders. And he's just this maverick. And he very well could have been a maverick if he wanted to. This guy was unbelievably competent. This guy was skilled. He was brilliant. Long before he became a Christian, he was murdering Christians. He was persecuting Christians on behalf of the Jewish people. And in his late 20s, early 30s, he rose to the point of, of prominence where he was the premier guy in the Jewish faith, studied under Gamaliel, which was the, the premier teacher of the day. And so he was a disciple of, of the premier teacher. He was this guy who was showing great power and great, great skill and, and just great knowledge. He was very competent. The story then goes that, that God blinds him, Jesus blinds him 
in route to go and to, to continue, as the Bible says, to wreak havoc on more Christians in different places. He's in route to kill him, and God blinds him. And through just a series of events, he, the scales fall off of his eyes, and he sees physically, but then he also sees in his heart. Jesus is real. Why am I persecuting the one who loves me and died for me? He is God. And so he's just this brilliant man, both on this side, pre-Jesus, and today, post-Jesus. He's writing these incredible letters with great understanding, and he's had time alone in the wilderness to to just be with God and to study and to grow. And and now here he is, but we see that this brilliant man who could have said, I'm going to do everything on my own. I'm just going to go. The guy is always working with people. You think about the 13 letters that the Apostle Paul was used of the Holy Spirit to write. Eight of them were co-authored. Paul and Sosthenes, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silvanus and, and, and Timothy. How would you like to be in on that group project, by the way, college students? I mean, that would be nice. In fact, have you ever been on a group project where you did most of the work? And then the, like, one of the worst parts is, is when you turn the paper in and at the top you have your name and their names. You're like, this is ridiculous. Right? You want to just put a little asterisk right there. P.S., I did 99% of this work. Those guys are a bunch of lazy bums, right? Paul, I I imagine, as you read through the letters, it seems like Paul is the competent guy. But but Paul is not a maverick. Paul says, I too am going to come up in relationship with people and and live my ministry out in people, in in relationship with other people. In fact, as you follow the book of Acts, which covers a lot of the travels of the Apostle Paul, you you see that he's always surrounding himself with a team. And then in Acts chapter 18, where the start of this church, Corinth, takes place, you see he's with Aquila and Priscilla, two of his close friends who also have this this business with him making tents. He's got uh, Silas and Timothy. He's got Luke, who's the team physician. He's also at the start of this church, he's got Crispus, who was the, the Jewish leader of the synagogue of that time, converts and gives his life to Jesus. And so shortly after that, Crispus joins the team. And then from, from Crispus, this other guy named Sosthenes, you know him, Sosthenes, then takes Crispus's place and becomes the leader of the Jewish people of the synagogue there. And then he converts and himself comes to a place where he's so close with Paul that now he's helping Paul pen this letter. But, but the beginning of the, the church of Corinth, team, all of Paul's ministry in a team. This is how Paul lived his life. The point, incredibly competent man chooses to live his faith out in community, chooses to live his ministry out in community because this is how we grow. This is how God has designed it to be. Again, to string it all together, sanctified saints together. Now read with me, beginning in verse 3, goes on, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's his prayer? He's given his introduction. This is me and Sosthenes talking here. Your friend Sosthenes, who you saw come to know Jesus. This is who you are. You are, you are saints. And then here in, in, in 3, he says, grace and peace to you. His prayer for them is, is grace for you. His prayer for them is, is peace for you, my friends. And he's about to address all kinds of crazy We'll see that. It should be fun. It'll get real, that's for sure. But instead of going in guns a-blazing, he goes in tenderly. 
In fact, listen to him now. Verse 4, and then we'll read through 9, the last of our text for this morning. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's very clear here how sincerely he loves them, how he sincerely thanks God for them, and how he sincerely believes that they are, in fact, changed Christians. There are people who say, I'm a Christian, right? Because like I, I maybe grew up in the church, I've been around the church, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you are right with God and you're going to be with him for all eternity. There are people who are, are Christian in name only, and there are people who have been truly changed by Jesus. Christians in the eyes of God, they've been given a new heart. And it's clear as we read through this that Paul believes that they are true Christians, that they truly have been changed. He says things like, in every way you were enriched by my teaching. He says the, the testimony of Jesus, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus was confirmed among you. He says, you lack no spiritual gift. He says, you await the coming of Jesus to whom you were called. Like he's confident you are a changed Christian. You hear the tenderness of his heart. I believe you're, you're truly a follower of Jesus. And then how do you go from this to, hey, stop getting trashed at communion. He, he, he goes in tenderly. Compare that to, say, his letter to the church uh, in, in Ephesus, for example. He goes in very quickly yelling, I am astonished, he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Jesus. See the difference? Very quickly, he goes crazy on him. But right here, guys, I love you. I thank God for you. I've seen God move in your hearts and in your life. Now stop sleeping with your stepmom. I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff right here. And is this not unlike the approach of Jesus? You think back to when Jesus was, was walking the earth in, in human form, his three years of ministry, and the people that he was the harshest to were the religious people, and the people he was most gentle towards are those struggling with the trappings of sin. And Paul is tender and Paul is compassionate with these folks despite the crazy. And he gets really firm with the Ephesians who go back to law and performance and trying to earn God's favor and trying to be religious type people. He's really tender towards these people. Why? Because he remembers where they came from. He remembers about the church of Corinth. He remembers about going into that city with just a burden for that city and longing to see people come to know Jesus in that city. He remembers where they came from, that this is a very unique culture. See, many churches in this day, as we're reading in this, this Bible period, many churches in that day were, were Jewish people turned Christians. And, and so these are people who grew up with the Old Testament law, the, the prophecies. They're waiting for the Messiah. They get the news of the Messiah. They, they trust in the Messiah. When people quote Bible verses in church, they go, yeah, I remember that Old Testament. I grew up hearing that. 
These were, these were pretty much church people. That was Most people in that day were, were Jewish people with a little bit of Gentile in the mix. But this church was mostly Gentile people with just a few Jews in the mix. And so for these people, before Jesus, church service, worship service, was going to the, the temple of Aphrodite and worshiping by having sex with multiple temple prostitutes. That's their reality. That was completely normal in, in that day. So you, you might now see why it might take them a long time for that practical sanctification to work out, to, to, to build out in their lives. You might now understand why, why Jesus is so tender with the sinful people and harsher with the religious people. You might understand why, why, why Paul is so gracious and methodical in approaching this church and not barging in and flipping over tables. How dare you? Because he remembers where they came from. And he remembers that, yes, God loves them and God's grace is on them and they are declared sanctified saints, set apart, holy ones. And now it's going to take some time to see them grow, to learn, to live like that. I've got a soft spot in my heart for, for, for children who are adopted and, and children specifically who are adopted after being brought through numerous foster homes. And, and you, you understand the compassion that's necessary for that when they act out. My wife has, a, a, has had just a rough group of students at school last year. And just, just really difficult. And she would come home and just be so tender-hearted towards these kids. Because she understood what they're, they're coming from. And that's, that's where Paul's at. And so, as we turn the corner, just heart-to-heart heart with my church family for just a moment. And some of you, this isn't your church home. We're really glad you're here. But just heart-to-heart heart with my church family for just a moment. More than ever before, I am just convinced that God's vision for our church is to connect Bostonians to Christ. Bostonians who are far from Jesus to Christ. Our mission is not to connect church people to church. Our mission is to connect Bostonians who are far from God and certainly far from church to Christ. And so if you're a church person, you are so welcomed here. But it's time to get dirty. I mean, it is, it's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to do whatever we need to do to be about the mission of Jesus, to reach people who it, nobody's going to them. They're, they're far from God. That's the heart. I had a person one time give me the most complimentary, complimentary criticism I've ever heard in my entire life about our church. And they said, I don't like this church because I can't hide in the back row. I said, fair enough. Um, hey, maybe out of the church budget we could buy you some tickets to go down to the Wang Theater and sit in the back row and watch a good show. But that is not at all what God has called us to be. He's called us to get dirty and to rub shoulders with people who are not like us. And not just in here, because that's a little bit rare. And no church person is saying, I saw an ad on the train, and, and, and I'm far from Jesus. And cool, I'll go to church. That doesn't happen. 
They come to church because you've been loving them in the workplace. You've been loving them as your neighbor. You've been loving them in the dorm room. You've been caring for them. And you maybe share Jesus with them a few times. And then you say, hey, you want to come to my church? Uh, I don't know about that. I'm like the last person. You'd be surprised. We've got a bunch of freaks at our church. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it happens. That's how it happens. The vision is to fill this place with people who are far from God. Far from God. And cause a ruckus in this place because we got people who are different than us. Church people. People who are different than us. Whatever your ethnicity is or your socioeconomic status is. People who are different than us. I've been, I've been pursuing this for a long time. Was, uh, I told you, over the past few weeks I've kind of shared little bits and pieces of my story but I told you when I was 17 years old and uh, I'd been hanging out in uh, the projects. It was in my town. It was kind of the hood. It was, it was, it was a rough, rough place. And, uh, and God just burned my heart for them. That we would see lots of them come to know Jesus. And, and so I got a bunch of my friends together and said, hey, this is going to be crazy, but we're just going to start hanging out. We played kickball. We played wiffle ball. We just, whatever they wanted to play, we basketball. And I was shooting all kinds of air balls. But we just hang out with these kids. And then we started to bring them to my little country white church. And I'll be honest, it caused a little bit of a ruckus. Like the people in the kids' ministry did not know what to do. Like these aren't church kids anymore. Like little felt Jesus is not going to work anymore. This is like, what do we do? You've got, this has kind of been tough. For, and the, the, the little Christian kids who have grown up in the church, this is, this is challenging for them. And I, I swear, I promise, I de- and I'm just 17 years old and I have no credibility. I get it. I'm young. And, and, but I, I just, guys, but I believe that this is going to be good for those kids too, to be rubbing shoulders with, with kids who don't know Jesus and are, are, are not accustomed to all. It's going to be good for everybody. I just, I, I've, I've been, been pursuing this for a long time and we saw the kids ministry flipped upside down we saw God do some stuff in the church that was was uncomfortable at first but in in the end very good very healthy for people and my, my prayer for us church at the start of this new school year and a new season is that this kind of chaos would start to happen in our midst that there would be a little bit of a, a ruckus happening in our midst, that the comfortable would be uncomfortable, that this place would be full of wild ones, or we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like, if we want to be a part of a country club, there's plenty. That's not the church. Would you guys close your eyes? I just want, let's just go straight to responding if we can. We, we like to do this every week together, it's just to respond to, to the scriptures. And so, as we just see this introduction and Paul's sensitivity and joy in these crazy, crazy people, my, my first question is to the Christians, and that is Christians, as your, your eyes are closed and you're just reflecting on how this applies to you, Christians, are you with me? Are you with Paul? Ultimately, are you with Jesus? And if you're at a place, you say, honestly, there's zero desire in my heart to engage with, with people who are not like me. There's zero desire in my heart to, to see my 
neighbor come to know Jesus, my friend come to know Jesus, my, my family member come to know Jesus. There's zero desire in my heart to see my spouse come to know Jesus. God, I pray that you would break callous hearts. How could we ever receive the cure for cancer and not share it with other people? Is there anything more selfish in the world? Because this is a disease, sin that has forever and ever implications. And so Christian, if that's you, maybe you just need to talk to God and say, God, would you give me a fresh burden for those who don't know you? God, would you give me a fresh sensitivity to those who do, but recently, and they're trying to figure out how to walk out this Christian life. God, do your work in their hearts. And and maybe you're in here and, and you would say, I feel like the wild one. Church is so foreign. This is the last place I ever thought I would be. And maybe you've already given your life to Jesus and and there's been some initial change and evidence that he's doing a work in your heart, but you're struggling to grow in holiness. This whole thing has been really challenging for you. Can I just tell you we love you? And we are so glad you're here. And I've heard it said this way, that it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. And we want to help you grow. And we want to do it with grace. Maybe we fumble around a bit, but we we do love you. Jesus loves you. Maybe you're in here, you've never given your life to Jesus and you're sensing the, the grace of God that's being offered to you right now, that you don't have to clean up for him, that he humbled himself. You don't aspire to him. He, he humbles himself and comes down to you, and he died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. And then he died, and he defeated sin, and he defeated death for you. So that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and his sacrifice for you and his holiness is on you. You are holy if you trust in Jesus. And you're not going to live like that just perfectly right away. It takes a long time. That same grace that's afforded to you at the beginning is given to you every single breath that you take from that point forward. So maybe that's you right now. You want to give your life to Jesus and become a Christian. And the best way you know how, just call out to him and say, Jesus, I trust in you. I turn from living a life independent of you, and I want to be completely and totally dependent on you. Help me to live for you. And the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and so be saved. God, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. God, I pray that this season would be a season marked by wild ones marked by people 
who maybe never would have thought they'd give their lives to Jesus, giving their lives to Jesus, being changed and moved by the powerful gospel message, the good news of a God who loves them and died for them. God, I pray that each of us, we'd see friends and family members and coworkers and classmates and neighbors come to know Jesus, that you would blow our minds with what you want to do. So push us out into the uncomfortable, into the unknown. We're excited to see what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.